What is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to episode nine of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest. It is the last regular season version of our show, though we'll be talking a lot about the upcoming playoffs. If you're a recurring listener, welcome back. And if you're a new listener, I'm glad you're here listening with us, talking with us, listening to us talk at least, and talking about the weekend re- in the weekend recap and the playoffs to come. So I'm joined by two familiar faces in Callie Sai and Ryan Rudy, and a Diamond Digest familiar face, however, not one that's been on this week in baseball before, Jonathan Roy. Jay Roy, how are we doing tonight? Pretty good. Glad to finally be on the podcast. It's really... So, uh... so between... Uh, J-Roy and then Callie and Ryan, we've got a good crew on tap here. We got a mix of old and new faces in Diamond Digest, so. I thought you were going to say something about glasses wearing. Uh, that's a good one. If you're, yeah, we all are all wearing glasses. If you're only listening to this, we're all wearing glasses, so we all look really smart tonight, which is only a precursor to all the great, smart, analytical baseball conversation I'm sure we'll have tonight, so no pressure on all of you, but. Show remains the same. We'll touch base with the rest of the league, talk about the final standings with league wrapping up the regular season today. No huge COVID updates, but one small one for the Cubs. Talk about some weekly debuts. No super notable names, but a few notes to talk about. Moving into the seventh inning stretch, storylines, what to watch for, and then we'll get ready ourselves to watch some uh, playoff baseball in 2020, something we weren't sure was going to happen. But let's dive into it. Usually I say if the season ended today, well, the season did end today. And here is what the playoff bracket looks like in Major League Baseball. On the AL side, the Tampa Bay Rays ended up as the one seed. They will face the eight seed Toronto Blue Jays. The Cleveland Indians are the four seed. They will face the five seed New York Yankees. The Minnesota Twins are your three seed, and they will face the number six seed, the Houston Astros. And the Athletics are the number two seed. They will face off against the number seven seed, the Chicago White Sox. In the National League, the Dodgers, no surprise, are the number one seed. They will face off of against one of four NL Central teams, the eight seed Milwaukee Brewers. San Diego Padres are the four seed. They will play the number five seed, St. Louis Cardinals. The Cubs are the third seed, facing off against the sixth seed, Miami Marlins. And the Braves are the number two seed, and they will face the number seven seed, Cincinnati Reds. So some movement, not a ton. I think the biggest thing was for as entertaining and as crazy as the NL could have been today, it ended up not being that way on this Sunday. Um, The biggest news from the American League side was certainly – the White Sox being a number two uh, overall team as of recording last week, and then proceeding to go one and six this week en route to falling to the number seven seed. Um, the Twins taking the division and the Indians taking the tiebreaker and finishing second. The other big thing, the NL Central has, has four playoff teams, as well as if – The 2021 draft is done by reverse records. The number one draft pick in 2021 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So quite the disparity amongst teams in the NL Central. But 
I'll turn it over to you all real quick. Any thoughts, general comments? I know we're going to talk a lot about it in seventh inning stretch, so don't give up any material here too soon. But any general thoughts you want to throw out as you look at the standings um, in terms of where people ended up, some teams getting in, some teams not getting in on the National League side and so forth? Yeah, I'll go ahead and say that, you know, as a Phillies fan, today did not go so well. We had a chance <laughs> to get in if we had beaten the Rays and if the uh, Brewers and Giants had lost, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they were both down. They both mm, lost. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Lost. They both lost, which is really frustrating because – which would have kept the door open for the Phillies to get in, but we got shut out by Fleming in the Rays today, which was pretty disappointing. Could have been – you know, as a general baseball fan, we could have seen a lot of havoc. Could have been a lot of craziness in the standings, but, you know, we still got a really good postseason ahead of us. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, Jay Roy is the only one on the podcast tonight without a playoff team that he roots for. So, sorry about that. <laughs> I saw the last game with Real Muto in a Phillies uniform. That's uh, a, we'll, we'll see about that. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Um, we, we just gotta yeah. fire. We just gotta fire Matt Clintack and hopefully get a GM. And... Um, it's it's certainly interesting that you know, like you're saying, the National League you know, seemed like there'd be a lot more intrigue there today mm-hmm. than the American League and any of the Brewers, Giants, or Phillies who could have won a game to really make things interesting, all three of them lost mm-hmm. um, compared with the American League where the playoff teams were decided, but the seeding wasn't. And that really got thrown for a loop today with um, all the the Twins going to innings, the White Sox um, staging a pretty impressive comeback to bring things close with the Cubs. Um, you know, that ended up being a lot more interesting of, of a storyline today. <laughs> yeah, the biggest thing is I had put together just looking at all the different scenarios that could have happened. Um, and for the Sox, the, the most likely scenario by far was ending up playing the Yankees. And the least likely scenario was ending up playing the Athletics. So naturally, because baseball is baseball, Kelly, you and I will have some beef to deal with over the course of the next yeah. couple of days. Um, and you and I will have some fun White Sox A's games. Hopefully some fun White Sox A's games to talk about. But let's jump into the COVID updates, some weekly debuts, and then we'll talk more about the standings for sure. The good news is we finished, we, not really we, but Major League Baseball finished the entire regular season. The only two games that were not played by any team, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be because I'm potentially leaving out the Marlins, were the Cardinals not playing a doubleheader against the Tigers. Um, And that just ended up being because it was not necessary to determine which teams got into the playoffs. Major League Baseball said those games would only be made up if it determined which teams were in, not where they were ranked or seated in um, the playoffs. um, home field advantage. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, so those games will not be made up on Monday, but otherwise, you know, for all the questions, for all the scares very early on, credit to the players for pushing through it. And I I mean, it's certainly a scary situation. We've talked about this a lot. And I mean, I mean, for me, it's still good on the players for holding each other accountable, showing that they wanted this season just as much as the fans did. Um, I think that's a big thing. The, the, another fun storyline, 
the con- congratulations to the Cubs, I guess, who are the only team without a positive COVID test on the entire year, which not only speaks to, you know, once again, the accountability of those players, but also th- there was certainly plenty of adverse situations, I guess, where every team had at least one case come up and still being able to push through it and get to the end of the regular season and into the postseason where we've talked about now they have the playoff bubble after these wild card rounds, it, it was certainly a positive sign. Again, this is something where everything was so unsure, and every time there was a positive test, it felt like the world was ending, and the players still pushed through. And, and I think to hold them, themselves holding each other accountable and showing they wanted to play this season is awesome. As we move into the weekly debuts, obviously, as we – Come to the last week of the regular season, nothing too notable um, in terms of high-profile names or any early draft picks making their debuts. Some names around the league. Tucker Davidson, a hard-throwing left-hander for the Braves, made his debut finally. I know a lot of Braves fans were wondering when he would eventually make that debut. Edward, Edward Colina of the Twins. Tommy Doyle, former second-round pick of the Rockies in 2017, made his debut. Elliot Soto debuted for the Angels. Jared Oliva, a catcher for the Pirates. And Braylon Marquez for the Cubs. And Ryan, I'll turn it over to you to talk a little bit about Marquez, who's certainly the um, most high-profile name on this list. And he made his debut Sunday um, in the last game of the regular season. Yeah. Um, so, so Marquez, he was signed out of the Dominican Republic in 2015. He's 21 years old. Um, hard-throwing lefty who has touched 102 miles per hour, um, which in and of itself is pretty unique for a left-handed pitcher. Um, he long-term should be a starter for the Cubs. Um, he's mm-hmm. not there yet. It was the first time pitching in a professional game above a ball. Um, so he, the Cubs are right now see him as a relief option. And um, they're really keeping the door open for him to potentially bolster the bullpen um, moving into the postseason because the Cubs um, do not have a ton of legitimate left-handed relief options. So, you know, they, they made a couple of trades. They added Josh Osich and Andrew Chafin at the trade deadline, but they have the most talented left-handed pitching arm in their system in Marquez, mm-hmm. and um, they gave him a shot today. He did not have a good debut, um, he gave up a few walks and several earned runs. I don't know the exact numbers, but the bottom line for him at least is he was going to be rule five draft eligible this upcoming winter. So the Cubs had to put him on the 40 man roster in a couple sure. months anyway. So regardless of whether he contributes in the postseason, today was pretty much a free look at what's to come for him and the Cubs. And he has amazing stuff. I mean, like I said, really, really hard throwing um, fastball, 80 grade fastball. Um, the command especially was what was not there today. Um, and you know, that's partially attributable to him still being pretty raw, partially attributable to nerves, but he's definitely a name that has a very high likelihood of staying on, on everyone's radar, um, for a long time. Very talented kid. So that was my Cubs have a pretty good track record with hard throwing lefty reliefs in the postseason. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good point <laughs> one worked out for them That's... that was my next question though so you do see him as a 
at least potential bullpen option moving towards uh, the playoffs. Do you, do you think it's something where he's put on the uh, roster first round or they maybe wait till second round if the Cubs advance or? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, so, so Theo Epstein said before today that they knew that anytime before today, Marquez wasn't ready for the major leagues. And there's been a word that he's been blowing guys away in South Bend, you know, major league hitters and he's contending with them. But at a certain point, there's a difference between playing with guys in your own organization in a training camp and stepping up into the big leagues and especially into the postseason. And I think that at least for the wild card round, the Cubs probably don't roster him because when it comes down to one close game that can decide your season, um, you don't necessarily want to put in a guy who's 21 years old and is only big league outing. He didn't get through his inning. He made mm-hmm. a bunch of walks. He struggled with his command. I think he's still an option moving later in the postseason. Okay. But in the first round, you know, making it through three games, they have guys that that have a, a more track record than him and that that will be able to, I think, you know, handle the situation better that I, I don't think that's a risk that they're willing to take, especially because, you know, this is still a guy that's very important to your future too. Mm-hmm. And so do you want to make sure you remember that as well? Certainly something to watch for, for the Cubs and Cubs fans when evaluating who those 28 players on the initial roster might be something for all teams. We'll be finding out in the next day or so at the very latest. Um, as teams make some difficult roster decisions come playoff time. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that that 28th man gives them even the option to consider putting him on. Mm-hmm. Because in the past, you've got 25, and he's not not in the picture. Right. So maybe a sleeper arm for the Cubs later on, maybe one that they trust enough to put on the roster. It'll certainly yep. be something that's interesting to see for the Cubs. And probably, unfortunately, for the Marlins, because that was a pretty powerful arm. Uh, that I happen to watch with in Cubs and Sox today. So very powerful yeah. arm, very scary arm, very good stuff. I mean, he got he got swings and misses on a big mm-hmm. level. That's a great start. Right. Absolutely. Throwing 99 to 102 will usually do that for a guy, especially <laughs> yeah, from yeah. the left side. Yeah. But let's get into our main segment, seventh inning stretch. You know the drill. I asked seven questions. This is seventh inning stretch. J-Roy, I know you love that joke. I'll award points for the best arguments. Points are completely arbitrary, and I still haven't figured out a good system. At least I admit it's completely arbitrary, but you will each have a minute to give your argument for each question, and then we'll move on from there. Kelly, I'm just going to be honest. Your Twitter has put you at a disadvantage tonight. (laughs) Um, But let's move right into it with question one. Today... The final standings and playoff picture were determined. Based on seeding and matchups, who are the biggest winners and losers heading into the playoffs? Ryan, we will start with you today. Okay. Uh, Winners, I say Rays, Dodgers, and Reds. Um, The Rays, if there's one part of their lineup you could point to and say it's not great, it's their lineup, their hitting, and they match up against one of the worst pitching teams in the Blue Jays. the Dodgers obviously are a powerhouse. They have the best pitching staff at controlling hard contact, and the Brewers lineup is not great. So I don't see the Brewers mm-hmm. being able to get many runs. And the Reds have a great pitching staff that will match up well with Atlanta's strong lineup, 
And their lineup hasn't been great. You know, they have a very low batting average, but they have the ability to capitalize on a severe lack of pitching depth for the Braves. Losers, I say Astros, Yankees, Cardinals. Astros run into the Twins, who at full health are one of the best teams in baseball. The Yankees could have drawn a lot better than Cleveland, who has very, very good pitching. And the Cardinals run into a Padres team that's been hot all year and to me looks better on paper all around. Kelly, you're on the clock. I think the obvious winner has to be the Marlins just for being here. Nobody thought, even in a even in the shortened season, even with the expanded playoffs, nobody thought they would make it. And then sure. after the COVID breakout, hope went down even further. So not only did they make it there, well, of course they made it. They made it, and that gives them a horse in the running. You know, anything can happen in the playoffs. We have seen it happen time and time again. Last year, the winner was a wild card team. Nobody expected to make winner of the World Series was a wild card team. Nobody expected to make it to the postseason. So, you know, it's really good for them to get into this race and remind everybody that, hey, this is baseball. Anything can happen. And I think the losers have to be the A's for not getting too matched with the Astros and being able to exact a little revenge on them. Well, if you get lucky, you might have a round two matchup, but hopefully you're not lucky. I really don't want you to be lucky. <laughs> J-Roy, winners and losers, what you got? Okay, well, I think that – I think the biggest winners are probably the Reds. I just think with their, you know, their three starting pitchers at the top of their rotation, they match up really, really well with the Braves. The Braves have an incredibly explosive lineup, but I – I'd be a little bit worried if I were the Braves, especially like Rudy said with their lack of pitching depth. I could absolutely see that seven seed over two seed upset. Uh, I'll say some other winners are the Rays. Exactly, I think that uh, them getting the one seed was huge. I don't think that the Blue Jays are a super strong team, especially in comparison to the Rays. I think that should be should be you know uh, like uh, like we said, playoffs are pretty volatile. But I, I definitely think that should be a good series for the Rays. Oh, losers, I kind of want to say the Yankees here. I don't know. I'm kind of feeling the mojo with Cleveland a little bit. And uh, especially, you know, the Indians have the hottest pitcher in the world right now going game one for them. Granted, the Yankees will be throwing Garrett Cole. But, uh, yeah, I I think that even though uh, the Indians have the higher seed, I think most of us see the Yankees as the favorites there. But, you know, I I think they they should definitely be careful because the – Indians have a very strong team. I'll give the point to the rookie, the newbie on the show. Give him a nice early lead to work with. But I, I do agree. I do agree um, with the Indians, or excuse me, the Yankees being a loser because of the Indians. I think whoever ended up drawing Cleveland was going to be at a severe disadvantage in a three-game set. Um, that that's a team that they could run out anyone they want to from the bullpen and. It would be a struggle for most teams to deal with them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they get to pull McKenzie out of the bullpen too. Yeah. That's the thing. McKenzie coming out of the bullpen, w- once they did that against the White Sox last week, I'm like, this team is going to be a problem for somebody. And yeah. I'm, just, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm just hoping it's not the White Sox. So I, I certainly thought whoever would end up against Cleveland would probably be the biggest loser. Um, not necessarily the Yankees – whether or not they're going to struggle is one thing because of the Yankees, but certainly that's one of the more intriguing matchups. Mm -hmm. Question two, 
We will be putting out our final power rankings on the website Monday. So first of all, make sure to take a look at those. Those are a combination of all of our um, writers' thoughts on rankings heading into the playoffs, as well as just even those who didn't make the playoffs. How did their um, how did they end up in our rankings? But what I want to know from all of you is I want to know your top five teams, and I want you to justify the first overall pick. Kelly, we'll start with you. I mean, I won't let the Dodgers because they just have no weakness. They have great hitting. They have great defense. They have great pitching both starting-wise and in the bullpen. They, you can't look at the Dodgers and say, okay, this is what we're going to take advantage of because Walker Bueller, Clay, and Kershaw – two great pitchers that in the short series and the three-game series you're going to have trouble with. Uh, the bullpen is great. You have Bruiser, Gratterall, throwing 100. You have Blake Trinan, who's having a resurgent year. You, of course, still have Kenley Jansen, who's doing better and better. They just have nothing you can try and exploit to take advantage of. Ryan. What you got? Top five. First, Dodgers. Second, Rays. Third, Twins. Fourth, Yankees. And fifth, I have the Padres. And I have I have the Dodgers number one. And, you know, I, I can't make an argument similar to Callie's without sounding the same. But I will say that um, looking into things a little bit today, the Dodgers have never um, – against all of their nine opponents this season. They have a winning record against every single one. Um, you know, even in three game sets that they had against the Rangers and the A's, they came out with two of three games. And the Dodgers also have a run of plus 136, which is more than double every team in baseball, except the Padres are the only team in baseball with a run differential that is even half the Dodgers. And I think that that's just very difficult to overcome. I mean, the Dodgers, they won three more games than the Rays, who had the second best record in baseball, and six more games than the Padres, who had the third best record in baseball. And six games is the difference. I mean, that's a huge, huge margin. Yeah. A difference of six games would have got the Red Sox into the playoffs. Right. That's and that's one tenth of the year, and the Dodgers are that much better. For sure. J. Roy, top five, and then if your number one is the Dodgers, I want you to justify your second pick. Okay. Uh, so yeah, my top five is Dodgers, Rays at two, Padres at three, Yankees at four, and for the fifth spot, I was debating between Twins and Braves, which is a little bit out there, but I ended up going to the Twins just because I trust them a little bit more. Uh, you know, obviously I wanted to kind of be contrarian and think of a reason I wouldn't say the Dodgers, but they're just the obvious choice at that spot. You know, good luck to the Brewers. They'll be throwing Walker, Clayton Kershaw, game one and two against them. Yeah, like you said, I have the Rays at two. I almost wanted to put the Padres in this spot, but, you know, the Rays, you know, they've still got Blake Snell. They've still got Glasnow. They've still got uh, Charlie Morton. And, you know, they – uh They've got, you know, one of the best managers in the league. I, I really think that they can make a deep, deep playoff run. Like I mentioned earlier, I think they match up very favorably with the Blue Jays in round one. And so, yeah, I have Rays at number two. I'll give Ryan the point because I like the run differential statistic. 
Again, yeah. this is totally arbitrary. But <laughs> I, I think that just shows their dominance. Just yeah, the complete... Absurd. Just tearing through. And the both the NL West and the AL West aren't exactly walks in the park. Um, so they are that dominant. Yeah, I think I mean, they had a 116 win pace. Mm-hmm. Through. You want to? I mean, you want to talk about run differential? The Dodgers plus 136 run differential would have been sixth last year. Sorry, seventh in baseball last year in a 162 game. That's exactly. Oh my goodness. So th- their dominance is going to put them in the play or excuse me in the World Series in a lot of people's brackets. Yeah, so. and, and J-Ray, I think it's interesting that you're talking about considering the Padres for a second. Yeah. I actually moved them down mm-hmm. um, because, if I'm not mistaken, they just suffered injuries to both Mike Clevenger and Nelson Lamette. Mm-hmm. And that loss to two of your very good starting pitchers is a pretty big shot right before the playoffs. I don't think they're expected to miss any time, though, yeah, which is why yeah. I have them oh, still okay. second in the uh, okay. standings. Yeah, was I was going to say. bicep in- in- injury for uh, Clevenger, I believe. Might be mixing up uh, Clevenger and Lament's injury. It was actually, yeah, it was actually biceps tightness for, for both Clevenger and Lamette. And I oh, think okay. that, I think Tingler said they both should be ready to go for round one. So that is definitely something I considered, Ryan. But uh, yeah. No, yeah. if they're full health, I'm I'm all with you. They they are potentially even second best team in baseball. They do have the second best run differential in the mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Two huge teams like that coming out of the NL West is scary. Um, yeah. That that that's incredible. That I mean, even the Padres being able to keep some sort of pace with the Dodgers, though not necessarily score, not necessarily scoring at the same rate or preventing runs at the same rate, it's, it's, you could easily make an argument for them being the second-best team in baseball, which is awesome for San Diego. And, yeah. uh, something that, that's really funny that I can point out, um, you know, just talking about the whole power rankings really quickly, a lot of people thought the Padres and the Diamondbacks would be contending directly for that second NOS spot to the playoffs, ticket straight up. We had them pretty much middle-middle of our power rankings preseason, Diamondbacks 16th, Padres 19th. And the Padres have made the biggest jump, and the Diamondbacks have suffered one of the biggest falls. Um, the Padres ended up third, and the Diamondbacks ended up 27th in our final power rankings. It's actually a good point, and something to look out for when we put them out. Uh, well, you're all listening to this Monday, so when we put them out today. Biggest risers and fallers. Exactly, the biggest risers and fallers. See where White teams Sox ended up. Will, White Sox should be up there as well for the biggest risers. The Sox kind of – they're interesting because I, I, I would probably assume they were in the middle of the pack heading into the year. That's where I have them. But they kind of – Power rankings, they were 15th. Okay. So, I mean, that would make sense. I, yeah, I wouldn't so put them very high early on. I think they they themselves fluctuated enough throughout the year that I can understand looking at – if you were to look at power rankings through the whole year, the fluctuation with them, certainly. What was surprising was that their big act- – off-season acquisitions didn't help much. I know Edwin Encarnacion didn't do that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Grandal wasn't their best producing catcher. It was uh, Josh or James McCann. Well, James McCann, the, the story there, McCann was better in limited time. I think he's one of those players that he's going to earn himself a starting job next year somewhere. But I think if you expose him over a longer period of time, I could be completely he'll wrong, it, he'll struggle. Uh, he, he's that type of player. You kind of saw it last year. He got off to the hot start in 2019, 
was not the same player in the second half of the year, and now you're seeing now certainly a different player than the player he was in Detroit, don't get me wrong. Um, I'll be curious to see, because I know he's going to play himself out of a bench position in Chicago. I'll be curious to see how his 2021 goes. Um, But certainly make sure to look out for those power rankings um, as you're browsing our site today. Um, Certainly our crew and Ryan spent a lot of time putting those together, so make sure to give him a look, see if you agree, disagree. Fun conversation is always to be had on power rankings. Question three. By standard Major League Baseball draft rules, the Pirates would have the first overall pick in the 2021 MLB draft with headliners such as Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. Now, it's strongly being considered, according to Jeff Passan, that this will remain the same for 2021, meaning reverse order in the standings. will still determine um, draft order despite only playing 60 games. My question to you is this. Should the draft order rules remain the same? If not, propose what you believe the solution should be. J-Roy, we'll start with you. You're on the clock. Okay, yeah. I, I definitely agree with them keeping the reverse, uh, reverse record order. Uh, you know, I, even throughout a 162-game season, I still think Pirates would have been close to the bottom. And uh, even though the prospect of uh, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter on the Pirates kind of makes me sick. But, uh, yeah, I think I think the the system right now is fine. You know, unless uh, Friedman and the rest of the MLB could think of a better solution, I, I'm definitely comfortable with them leaving the way it is. Callie? Why shouldn't they change it? Players still developed in 2020. Uh, teams still improved. You still saw rookies being called up. It's not like 2020 was the same as 2019. Of course, teams teams changed, teams improved, teams regressed. There's no reason that there should be any change other to other than what it currently is. Ryan, is it going to be three for three? It is going to be three for three. I agree that it should have um, stayed with standings determining the draft order. And I think the only other alternative that MLB should have considered was potentially a shift to a lottery. And I know that's been discussed for baseball before. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, for the vast majority of teams, I don't know that you can look at a team and say that the shortened season changed their approach to building their roster. Most teams had their roster built before the season. And we thought that some teams might not be as aggressive at the trade deadline. That was certainly not the case. Teams went for it at the deadline. Teams went for it this year. And I don't know that there was necessarily teams that were really trying to win or to lose for draft value this year. And so I don't think there's any reason to change the format um, because that just unnecessarily makes things more confusing. And there's not really much to be gained by changing it. All right, you all get a point since you all made very good arguments and you all agreed with one another. My, my, I put that out there because, you know, you have a team like the Red Sox where I'm like, do I really want to give them like a fourth overall pick with that offense? And someone, if, that, if that's an arm that can fly through the system, that, that could be a very quick turnaround um, for the Red Sox, even just getting one arm and then spending a little bit in the offseason. But certainly something where a team like that, you have to watch what they do in the offseason before really saying whether or not um, 
the, the draft order should remain the same. I think it should. I've long been someone who said 60 games is enough to really tell who's good, who's not. Maybe, okay, maybe someone should have been two or three. Those would have switched over the course of a year, but the good teams are going to separate themselves. The bad teams are going to separate themselves. Yeah. I, I think 60 games was enough to do that. Yeah, and I mean the Red Sox, you know, you can say they have a great offense and they did outscore a lot of the other kind of bottom feeder teams, you might say, but they also have legitimately really bad pitching. Yeah, pitching has been bad. They tried to fix it by trading for Nick Cavita, but... (laughs) Well, and it's like, you know, if you get one impact arm in Kumar Rocker with the first overall pick, even if you say he's a guarantee and he'll fly through the system, the rest Mm -hmm. of the draft after that isn't. And Kumar Rocker doesn't fix allowing 350 runs in 60 games. Good point. It's a very good point. So, but certainly something to keep an eye on um, the in the coming Sox weeks. Very likely won't get Kumar Rocker. Also. Right. Rocker that's a good point. will most likely be off the board. That's a good point too. I'm I'm very curious, and that's something we'll certainly monitor over time. How the draft kind of shakes out. Who we see teams choose with the top ten picks? Are they going to end up going with as safest picks as possible with limited data on players? But certainly something for the future. Question four, fact or fiction, our favorite part. The Cleveland Indians are the most dangerous team in the AL side of the playoffs. Callie, you're an A's fan. We'll start with the AL fan. Your thoughts? It's quite simply pure fiction. It's put simply because of depth. The Indians only have one starter with an FIP under 350. A mark I would consider very above average. They only have four relievers with an FIP below 350. I said above 350 for stars, my bad. They only have two hitters with a WRC plus of 110 or greater. That's horrible. That's atrocious. They simply do not have the depth to win in the postseason. Say Beaver goes Seven innings, you then have to throw in two relievers. Then what happens if, say, Carlos Carrasco or Aaron Savale go short? You have to throw in some players who have a 450 FIP. You're going to get those back end of game twos and game threes. They're going to struggle because they lack depth. That's you, you just can't be lacking depth in the postseason. You can you can succeed by having a lower ceiling but having a lot of depth, but the the Indians they're all ceiling with uh, Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. They simply cannot succeed in the postseason with their lack of depth. J. Roy, fact or fiction? Uh, I'm disagreeing. I'm going fact here. I I absolutely believe in the Indians going into the postseason. I think that I, I think you're underrating their pitching a little bit just because I don't, having the best pitcher in the world right now, then potentially being able to throw Carrasco, I think Zach Plesac could really make a name for himself this postseason. I think he uh, struck out nearly 30% of hitters this year. He had a 3.41 Sierra, which obviously isn't anything outstanding, but I, I mean, I think he's an above average pitcher. And then if you look at their bullpen, they have Karen Jack, they can go to Tristan McKenzie and they have the American league MVP on their team. I, I absolutely think that they are a huge threat to the Yankees in round one. 
And I think they're a really good sleeper pick to make it all the way. Ryan, break the tie here. Fact or fiction? So I'm a lot more in the middle ground than either J-Roy or Tally. But <laughs> I say fiction. The Indians are not the most dangerous team in the American League. Um, I think, you know, they have as good a chance as any team, but they don't stand out as the most dangerous team. Um, I am on J-Roy's side. I agree that their, their pitching depth – um, is better than Cali is giving them credit for, especially to make it out of a three-game series. I think in a three-game series, the Indians are as dangerous as any team, potentially more dangerous. But in the length of the playoffs, no. And I say this in a, because in a three-game series, having the ability to go to Tristan McKenzie out of the bullpen, you know, a lot of teams have very top-heavy rotations, and the Indians probably have the deepest one-through-five rotation in baseball. And that gives them two relief options that are actually starting pitchers that they can run out. Even if a starter goes short, you've got Tristan McKenzie, who is pretty much another starter to pick up the slack and keep you in the game. And for that reason, I think that the Indians are as dangerous as any team for a three game round, but moving into the deeper rounds of the playoffs, I agree with Cali that they don't have the depth, especially lineup wise to get it done outside of Jose Ramirez. They haven't had consistent threats in their lineup and one man won't be able to carry the offense enough. They simply will not be able to score enough, even if their pitching is above average. Kelly, I'll give you 30 seconds to respond. You were vigorously shaking your head throughout most of Ryan and Jay Roy's uh, conversations there. <laughs> Outside of Brad Hand and James Karnicek, I believe is how you pronounce this, they don't have any proven relievers. Oliver Perez has a has like a XFIP of 5.07 something. If he hasn't given up a home run all year, that's going to change in the postseason. It's going to get lit up eventually. His luck is going to run out. And remember how I said they had two hitters with a WRC plus of 110 or greater? They only have one hitter with a WRC plus of 111, of 10, of 111 or greater. Their uh, offense is atrocious. Especially in a three-game series, how many shutdown relievers do you really need? Yeah. I mean, how many how many postseason teams have we seen that have shutdown relievers? You know, being a Royals fan and watching the the shutdown bullpens of 2014, 2015, they had three bullpen arms that were legitimately shutdown arms, and that was outstanding for the time. They won't need much more than that, especially in a three-game round. I'm in agreement that they probably don't have the depth in a seven-game series if they can't take games early in the series which I also don't necessarily have faith in them to do. But James Karinczak and Brad Hand are a fantastic lockdown into your bullpen. They're as good as just about any other bullpen in baseball. Because their offense is so poor, their games are going to be close, which means they need more high-leverage bullpen arms, and they simply lack those high-end leverage bullpen arms. I think it's going to come down to, you know, what made the Indians so successful in 2016 was the ability to have a guy like Andrew Miller. Where if yeah. you needed to bridge a couple innings to get to your lockdown guys, he could do it. And if he needed to be the lockdown guy, he could do it. To Kelly's point with Han and Karinchek, I, I you can correct me if I'm wrong if somebody knows, I haven't seen them be more than one inning pitchers. And if, if you're limiting those guys to one inning guys and you're keeping games close, you're becoming more dependent on your offense and your starting pitching. It's fine to be dependent on your starting pitching if you're the Indians. I completely think you should. The offense leaves something to be desired. Um, 
But Ryan, I'll give you the point there. J-Roy, you would have had it. However, you mentioned Jose Ramirez is AL MVP, and after the White Sox single-handedly gave it to him this week between them in that four-game didn't set, say Jose Ramirez was the AL MVP. He just said the Indians had the AL MVP. He didn't right. specify which player was the MVP. And then they have two <laughs> MVP contenders. You can, also, you can also make a case that there's something to be said for the Indians on that alone. <laughs> they probably have two of the front runners, but Well played, Callie. <laughs> I'm not changing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Question five. Last week, DJ LeMayhew and Cole Calhoun won player of the week honors. Who are your front runners to be the final winners of the honors this year? Now, let me look back really quick at last week. Kelly. Last week, I uh, guessed Cole Calhoun, which was right, but uh, I then guessed Salvador Perez, which was yes. wrong. You were one for two, so I can't retroactively give you a point because Matthew actually, Matthew Penn actually had both correct. So we'll see how you do this yeah. week. Javery, we'll start with you, though. Give me your AL and NL Player of the Week frontrunners. Okay, so for the NL, I'm going to go with Brian Hayes, who has been on an absolute tear. I think earlier today he was uh, finishing up a 9-for-9 nine nine stretch. And now that the season's over, he ended the season with a 196 weighted runs created plus, which is absolutely absurd. And, you know, he is making the – National League Rookie of the Year race, really interesting. He only had 55 plate appearances this season. So, he, I mean, I don't think he'll win it, but he'll be eligible next year. And he might steal a couple of votes this year. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going with him. He's just been absolutely absurd. And for the AL side of it, I will go with Adalberto Mondesi. Ryan, we were talking about this right before we went on. But, uh, yeah, this dude's been been crazy lately. He also went uh, three for four today and uh, kind of, you know, turned his season around a little bit. But, yeah, not as uh, – I definitely think uh, Hayes is more of a uh, no-brainer. Kelly, what you got? I'm going with Hayes' teammate, Joe Musgrove. He made two starts. He didn't give up a run in any of them, and he struck out 21 batters, which is insane. And then in the AL, I, I just don't know, man. I just don't know. I'm going with Miguel Cabrera. He he had a fire lit under him, and I like to think it was because of what I said last week about him retiring and becoming <laughs> manager. He proved he still has some tread left on his tires. He hit four home runs and batted uh, and had a 370 batting average. So I'm going to go with him. All right, Ryan, what you got? Well, in the AL, I am going to stick with my guy and say Adalberto Mondesi. No he, surprises. By, yeah, by Fangraph's wins of replacement was worth a full win over the course of the past week. Um, batting average of close to 600, slugging percentage over 1,000. I think it's hard to to match up with that. He tied a Royals franchise record for most consecutive plate appearances reaching base, which if I told you that in the middle of August, you would have slapped me. Um, <laughs> and for the National League, I'm going to go with Marcelo Zuna um, because I think you know, there's something to be said for Ozuna performing as he did. He pretty much matched Hayes, if not exceeded him slightly in, in production um, over the course of the week. 
Uh, hit two home runs, had seven RBIs, which there's certainly something to say for that as well, um, compared to Hayes' two, you know, for an award like Player of the Week. I think that is something that can be considered. Um, and, yeah, my, my Ozuna's been a very important piece of a Braves offense that's really chugging right now. All right, we've got some uh, disparity amongst the group here. So this will be fun to figure out once they announce the uh, honors in the next couple of days. And then maybe I'll retroactively award some points that mean absolutely nothing, but mean something in my head. Question six. Obviously, we have reached the end of the 2020 season. So I want to hear just a list of your award winners for MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year in both leagues, and then I want you to defend which one of those you feel strongest about. Maybe it's an outsider pick that um, you, you feel that maybe it's not technically what most people would consider the front runner, but you're pretty high on this pick. So either that or just, hey, I think this is a lock and this is why. So I'll start with you, Ryan. What you got? Okay. AL MVP, Jose Ramirez. NL MVP, Freddie Freeman. AL Cy Young winner, Shane Bieber. NL Cy Young winner, Yu Darvish. AL Rookie of the Year, Kyle Lewis. NL Rookie of the Year, Devin Williams. AL Manager of the Year, Kevin Cash. And NL Manager of the Year, Don Mattingly. I'm going to defend two of my picks because I think there's two that probably got a reaction not only from um, who I'm recording with right now, but you listening potentially. Uh, first is you Darvish, um, which you're probably saying, yeah, I'm a crazy Cubs fan who's leaning a little bit in his favor in what's a pretty wide open race. But I think that outside of his first start, Darvish was solid the entire way for the Cubs. And that was really, really important to keeping the team moving through the middle of the year when they were really in a threat of things going downhill losing control of the division, control of their grasp on a playoff spot. And it was super, super valuable that every time Darvish went out, you knew you were in the game. And, you know, obviously you can say the same thing for guys like Trevor Bauer. And honestly, I can't say that Darvish necessarily deserves it any more than Bauer. Bauer is a very deserving choice. But there's something to be said for Darvish having um, more innings pitched and a higher F war than, than Bauer. I don't know if, if voters will necessarily look, look at that, but I think that um, Darvish is, is as good a pick as any. And it's also a great storyline after how he started with the Cubs and Devin Williams real quickly. I will also defend um, because he has had just an absurd season in relief. And I think that like J-Roy was saying, keep Ryan Hayes has really opened up the race a little bit. It looked for a while like Jake Cronenworth, Cronenworth was going to run away with the award. But I think that Key Brian Hayes has opened it up a little bit. Devin Williams as a reliever has been worth as many wins above replacement as um, Cronenworth and as Hayes. And I think that in an open field, relievers will be inclined to vote for a reliever who's been as locked down as Devin Williams and probably has the best pitch in baseball with that change of he throws. Kelly, what you got? Uh, I was smiling at you, Ryan, because aside from AL Manager of the Year, we have the exact same picks. So I went with uh, AL MVP of Bieber, NL MVP of Freeman, Cy Young of Bieber and Darvish, Rookie of the Year of Lewis and Williams, and Manager of the Year for Bob Melvin and Don Mattingly. 
So I'm going to defend Bieber winning MVP because we cannot have the last pitcher to win an MVP be a reliever. I love you, Dennis Eckersley. You're a reliever. In no universe are you the most valuable pit, most valuable player in baseball. Your impact on a game is just too small. And fortunately, he agrees with me. And for manager of the year, I went with Bob Miller because there was a stretch in which the A's played 16 games in 12 days. They went 9-3 and three over that course. And they were playing in some talented teams. They were playing the Astros. They were playing the Padres. The Rangers, they, they have struggled, but they're still a team with plenty of talent. And the Rockies, another very talented team. He has been able to help guide a ship that's also been dealing with a lot of injuries, with especially Matt Chapman going down. Mm-hmm. He's been extremely valuable in guiding the A's ship to the postseason. All righty, J-Roy, bring us home here. Okay, so I'm agreeing with the other people on the podcast for most of these. AL MVP, I think, has to be Jose Ramirez. He's finishing the year with a 163-way to runs created plus. Really, really cool stat about J-Ram. Last year, the entire season, which was 129 games for him, he accumulated 3.3 F4, and in just 57 games this year, he accumulated 3.2. He actually uh, went 2 for 4 with two doubles today, so I think he might have matched his total from last year, which is absolutely absurd. I feel very vindicated. I've been a J-Ram fan for a really long time, (laughs) and the slander – after the first half of last season was not fun to listen to. Uh, ALC Cy Young, I have Shane Bieber. This is as close to unanimous as an award should be. Mm-hmm. He's just been absolutely dominant. For AL Manager of the Year, I'm going with Kevin Cash. I think that he he is really making a strong case for himself as the best manager in the league I think he's super analytically minded which I know we all love and the Rays have just been phenomenal this year for AL rookie of the year I'm going with Kyle Lewis I think he's been he's been exceptional this year and uh you know I didn't think that was a super tough choice and LMVP I'm going with Freddie Freeman he's been absolutely electric offensively really separated himself from you know Trey Turner and Tatis and Betts these past couple weeks for NL Cy Young, I'm going with a choice that might shock some people, but I'm going with Jacob deGrom. I think that he has – like, I think that we've almost got gotten bored with deGrom just because how good and in, season in and season out. So this year, deGrom has a 2.38 ERA, 2.26 FIP, 2.45 XFIP, uh, 2.7 Sierra – he struck out nearly 40% of hitters, only walk, walked under 7% of them. I mean, and I know that these, like, that Bauer's been incredible, uh, Darvish has been incredible, Corbin Burns has been incredible, but I think if you look at their peripherals, I think that DeGrom has every right to be in that discussion. And uh, as far as DRA goes, which is Prospectus's biggest pitching stat, which I'm a huge fan of, Jacob DeGrom beats out Trevor Bauer, who's uh, – the other finalist who's closest to him by nearly like a third of a run. I think DeGrom has a 2.6 DRA and Bowers is like 2.9 something. Combined with the other stats, I think I, you can't go wrong with, with any of them at the top, but I'm, I'm really feeling DeGrom deserves this. Uh, for National League Manager of the Year, I'm going uh, Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly. He's been 
awesome for the Marlins. Just such a huge turnaround for them. And for NL Rookie of the Year, I don't know, at risk of sounding like a bit of a homer, I'm going with Alec Bohm. He has been so, so good. He finished the season slashing 338, 400, and 481. 139 weighted runs created plus. I think that uh, Cronenworth is his biggest competition. Cronenworth finished with a 125 weighted runs created plus. Uh, Cronenworth does have a slight advantage in F4, but I think when you're having such a short season like this, I don't think F4 should be the deciding factor. Bum's been a better hitter. I, I absolutely, I think, I feel pretty good in picking him. All right, we've got hey, some Roy, I here. am extremely surprised you didn't go with Harper for NL MVP. <laughs> <laughs> you know I wanted to. I just, I just couldn't do that. Freddie's just been too good. I'll have to retroactively assi- uh, award these points, too. I think you guys hit on a lot of them. It's going to be probably Bieber or Ramirez for AL MVP. Uh, Jose Abreu might get some votes in there, but. I really think Ramirez ran away with it in the past couple weeks. Freeman, I think, is a, uni- or a unanimous one. Cy Young, Bieber. I, 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 I'm very curious to see how many votes DeGrom gets. I think that's a pick a lot of people haven't been talking about that I think, J.R., you bring up some good points there. He um, does have the uh, second lowest FIP among mm-hmm. qualified pitchers. He just doesn't have the inning totals of, say, yeah. DeGrom. Or not, of, say, Darvish, my bad. That is a good point. Um, it makes sense. Um, Lewis, I think, AL has or Rookie of the Year, he has that locked up. Rookie wow. of the Year in the National League's less locked up. I'll see. I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens there. Manager of the Year, Mattingly, obviously, with the Marlins, everything they've gone through, and then Bob Melvin, Kevin Cash. I think you can make an argument um, out in Toronto for them being able to sneak into the playoffs that um, – Montoya should get some <clears throat> consideration towards it as well. Um, that one's probably a little bit more up in the air, but we'll have to see what goes on um, in the coming days and weeks when they decide to name all the award winners. But I wish they would just change it from manager to general manager. Then you that would be an interesting one. Or a reasonable way to judge their impact. You know, mm-hmm. good trades versus bad trades. Right. That's a good I like point. like that idea. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. Definitely would not be Matt Clintack. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, then, we'll, then we'll get into heated. Can you win manager or uh, general manager of the year if you don't make the playoffs debates? Yep, that's exactly what it'll be next. Is can you make good moves and still not have players producing? But give it to give it to the Tigers for selecting Spencer Torkelson. Great there move. you go. <laughs> All right, our final question here on seventh inning stretch. It'll be another fairly quick one that I have to award points retroactively. You've seen the teams, you've seen the seeding. Put it all together. Give me your World Series prediction and eventual World Series winner. J-Roy, I don't think you've gone first in a while, so you can go first. I think he's gone first in the last, like, three. Did he? (laughs) No, he didn't. He went third (laughs) on – that last one. Don't make me take points away from you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> should I go ahead and go? Yes, you should go. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So go ahead and start with the prediction. Yeah, prediction and who you think is going to win. Okay, I think that – I think the World Series will be Dodgers-Indians. I'm, I'm going well, with that. You're buying I, in on the Indians. I, I – 
Yes, I, I am. I, I see a lot of promise in them, but I think that the Dodgers' talent advantage is too strong all across the board for them to – definitely for them to get upset by the Brewers in round one. And I honestly, I have a hard time seeing them losing to anyone. Of course, the Dodgers have, you know – choked a lot in the last few years postseason so we'll, we'll see with them and uh I very well could have picked the Yankees here I, I almost did pick the Yankees here for on the AL side of things and they, they absolutely could make it I see them and the Indians as the two strongest choices you know in baseball postseason we always see some upsets though I think it very well could be the Indians this year. And who's going to win it all? I, I think it'll be the Dodgers. If I had to guess, you know, obviously anything could happen, but I, we, we haven't seen a team like this in a while. Callie? Call me a basketball presenter during March Madness because I'm going chalk all the way. I've got the Dodgers beating the Rays in the World Series. All right. I like the Rays there. I think the Rays could be a fun World Series matchup. I mean, the only for weakness sure, for sure. it their weakness is the rotation. Mm-hmm. But they they're unlike the Indians, they actually have the pitching to make up for it, in my opinion. I would take Snell, Glasnow, Morin over Bieber, Carrasco, Savale any day. And that bullpen is still very good, even with the loss of Emilio Pagan. And Ryan, what you got? I want to say so badly that I see the Padres making the World Series, but I think Do I it. stick with the Dodgers too. <laughs> I, I just can't, I just can't see it happening. Um, I've got Yankees Dodgers, and that would be the most boring pick preseason. Probably still a boring pick. You know, we've been talking this whole time about how the Indians depending on who you ask, apparently, are very or not very dangerous. (laughs) Um, But I see the Yankees coming out of that matchup on top. I think the Yankees, you know, especially with how much they've been through injury-wise, given all the talent they have on that roster, if they're at full health, they are super, super good. Um, They've got Garrett Cole, who's as much of an ace as anyone. You know, Mm -hmm. he could easily outduel Bieber in the first game of that series, and that puts the Indians on the ropes instantly. And I think that, yeah, I mean, the Yankees just have so much in their lineup, so much potential to do damage, and they've seen several postseason runs fizzle in recent years to the point where I think they're going to have some resolve to really uh, push through to the World Series this year. However, I see these Dodgers beating the Yankees in six games. Man, that was boring. Dodgers all the way around. Uh, it's it's the right pick, though. I mean, it would be very hard for me to see a team other than the Dodgers in the World can't Series from the National League. The, can't wait to see the Dodgers get eliminated just, first round now. Yeah, no kidding, just, right? They're hey. just pushing the envelope on how good you can get without winning. Without winning at all, exactly. So, If the Dodgers got bounced early, you would not see me complaining. I just don't see it happening. I think, I think that's – All the way. If that's how we all are, though. NLCS, yeah. The Padres go all the way. That's how we all are, though. It's you, you predict all these, but at the end of the day, if it's a uh, upset, I wouldn't be any sort of mad in any sort of world. So, yeah. certainly these will be things to come back to um, this Before week. I'll go ahead. I would like to point out really quickly that I only got one point this entire session, and that was the point Laz gave to everybody. 
Can does that show up well? It says biased. Oh, I can't see the ending. I was holding it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Laz is biased, probably. Laz is biased. Probably. I'm not even going to deny it. When I when I say my pick for the World Series is going to be you know White Sox Reds, I'm not even going to try. If I but you know if I saw a White Sox Reds World Series or that would be just, fun. Something fun. It, yeah. Is it probably going to be Dodgers and then, I don't know, the Rays or Yankees probably? Would I like it to be anything but? Absolutely. So, I'm rooting for craziness, but... I think, uh, I think the city of Chicago might implode with a Cubs-White Sox World Series. That's the only <laughs> World Series matchup I don't want to see. I, I, will, I, will, lose lose Coward. I will lose my mind. I will lose Coward. friends. I will lose I... family. I will never... <laughs> Go on social media ever again in my life. I <laughs> will never recover. Especially, especially if we see a World Series game like that, which just happened on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> if that happened in a World Series game, I oh, I man. would not. I I do not have the mental strength to get through a Cubs Sox World Series. I hope I never see one in my lifetime. I genuinely yeah, believe just, that. Um, I'm just Howard. I'm just avoiding siding too strongly with the Cubs in my predictions because I'm happy to see them in the playoffs after last year. That's valid. That's valid. I'm, I'm curious to see on the White Sox side what a little bit of postseason experience does for them. Oh, yeah. Um, even if it's not the same atmosphere as what it would usually be, getting to play some extra games at the end of the season is certainly a novel concept for the south side of Chicago in recent memory. Well, let's talk about some storylines. We covered a lot of the main ones, but this is our little segment where I write the rundown, but at the same time, I miss things. And this is where each of our writers gets a minute to tell me all about the things that I missed on our rundown today. And Callie, since you think I'm biased, I'm definitely not starting with you here. I'm going to start with J-Roy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... So something that I thought was really interesting and a little bit at my own expense, the Phillies now have the longest National League postseason drought at nine years. And on the flip side of that is, you know, I want to talk about the Marlins' incredible turnaround. I don't think anyone thought that they would be the second best mm-hmm. team in the NL East, but they have firmly been in that spot. I think Don Mattingly is the manager of the year. You know, they've just become a pretty exciting team, honestly, with the emergence of, you know, Sixto Sanchez, what an electric young pitcher he is. And uh, it's one thing that was really cool is that the Marlins clinched their playoff berth on the four-year anniversary of Jose Fernandez's passing, which I thought, you know, if you're a Marlins fan, that's, that's a really cool thing to see. That is. I did not even know that. That's a cool story there. Ryan, what's your storyline? My storyline is hard to go with anything but Adalberto Mondesi. We mentioned him <laughs> earlier. He was probably baseball's worst hitter in the first month plus of the season. Through through 37 games, I believe, a good two-thirds of the year, his OPS was 432. And he has now brought his season OPS to 700. That's in, impressive. In half of that much time. Um, I mentioned he tied a Royals franchise record for most consecutive uh, plate appearances, reaching base safely, which is also pretty out of character for him. But um, he was just hitting anything and everything this week. Um, His defense came back. I mean, he just looked very, very lifeless early in the year. And all of a sudden, he was back, you know, and maybe better than Mm -hmm. he's ever been. 
And it provided me certainly with a lot of hope that he could still be the player that a lot of Royals fans hope he might be in the near future. Um, he also, I don't know if he ended up with a stolen base today, but coming into today, led Major League Baseball in stolen bases by nine. He has 24. The next wow. closest has 15. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, he's definitely proving that he's still got the talent to hang at this level, which was a very big question mark early in the year. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty insane to see him go from probably a worst hitter in the league to top five in, in such a drastic shift. Yeah. No, that's a, certainly a welcome sign for Royals fans. I mean, you're looking at a team in the midst of a rebuild. You need any sort of confidence in these, especially these established guys moving forward. Oh, yeah. And he just turned 25. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird to say he's established and he's 25 years old, but that's yeah. certainly a good sign for the Royals moving forward. And, Callie, let's go to you. What's your storyline? <laughs> Unfortunately, J.B. Wendelkin went on the injured list, so I can't talk about him. Oh, uh, darn. I'm going to talk about the A's and their surprisingly good stolen base attack. They have 26 stolen bases on the year. Nothing special. It's below the average, actually. But they've only been caught stealing three times. Lowest in the majors. They have four players with at least four stolen bases, which might not sound like a lot, but that's, a, but that's half your lineup. And half your lineup can steal bases at an effective rate that really adds another wrinkle to your offense. And with the A's offense missing some of the power behind Matt Chapman, mm-hmm. I think you might see some more steals from them in the postseason with them being more aggressive. The offense has not been what we expected. Matt Olson has been struggling. Mark Canna's power has regressed, still walking at an elite rate, but not hitting as many home runs as before. So maybe getting an extra 90 feet using your feet will be something the A's look into doing this postseason. No, that'll be something to watch for if you're looking at the A's and trying to find and manufacture runs whichever way possible. I think especially in the postseason, that's going to be something that, you know, if you're a team struggling to score runs, you get guys on base, you can't afford to need two or three hits to get guys home. You need to get them home in one or two. And so that's certainly something to watch for if you're an A's fan. But let's close the storybook. Let's wrap it up by turning on the television, telling everyone what you're watching this week. I'll just say this because it's only going to be the playoffs you're watching this week. So I guess we'll go with it this way. What's the number one playoff matchup that you're looking forward to watching in this first round of the playoffs this week? Kelly, I'll be nice. Let's start with you. What's your number one matchup for the week? I'm going to immediately take your niceness and throw it back in your face. I'm excited <laughs> for that White Sox series just so I can trash talk you. <laughs> yeah, I figured as much, but I'm looking forward to this week for us. It'll be something where no matter what happens, I'm sure we'll have our fun with it. Yes. All right, Ryan, what's your biggest series this week that you want you want to watch? I think I'm split between three series that I think will be well contended. Um, and we've, we've talked enough about this Indians Yankees series that, you know, the other two I'm between Cubs Marlins and Braves Reds. I think that both of those series will be very interesting. Um, and I think you've got four in, in all four of those teams. They're, they're pretty volatile. Um, you know, you've seen ups and downs all over the roster and, you know, I would say if there's one series that might be interesting to watch, probably Braves-Reds, because that'll mm-hmm. be an offense-heavy series for the very much, very most likely. It'll be an offense-heavy series. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, they're two very good teams that both also have pretty apparent flaws. Yeah. And I, I think that'll be interesting. You know, you, you may not be able to, to predict what happens there necessarily. And J-Roy, you don't have a horse in the fight or horse in the race, I mean. That was like two different analogies combined mm-hmm. into one there. Horse in the race, but yeah. who are you going to watch instead? Okay, so I, I'm all in on Braves Reds here. I think this will be a great series. I cannot wait to see how, you know, see Trevor Bauer throwing in the postseason. I think that'll be really cool to see. And then, you know, after him, you've got to see Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray mm-hmm. if you're on the Braves. At the same time, though, that Braves that Braves offense is is awesome, though. So it'll be really interesting to see how the NL MVP, Freddie Freeman, carries into the postseason. Same thing with Ozuna, who's been on fire, and Ronald Acuna, who's one of the you know most exciting young players in the game. I think that series will be a ton of fun to watch. And obviously with the obvious choice – Yankees, Indians, you know, watching Bieber and Cole throw against each other, I don't think we could ask for a better matchup as fans. Yeah. There's going to be some really good pitching matchups this first round, especially in a three-game series like this. You're going to see some top names right away. And certainly it'll be something interesting as we fall into the next round with no off days, um, how teams decide to handle things. Um, Hopefully a lot of good pitching matchups on the horizon. I will say really underrated pitching matchup will be in Dodgers-Brewers. Game two when yeah. uh, the Dodgers roll Kershaw out there versus Brandon Woodruff, who has been absolutely incredible mm-hmm. this year as you know fellow DD writer Evan Alvarez has not let me forget. Uh, Woodruff's been so good these last two years. He's been like turning himself into a dominant starting pitcher. And, you know, him versus Kershaw, that'll be a really, really fun matchup. Yeah. Woodruff one is one of, like, the most under-the-radar players in baseball. Right Absolutely. Arguably yeah. a top-10 pitcher. Yeah, and with uh, with Corbin Burns down, he is very, very important <clears throat> to the Brewers contending yeah. with the, uh, the Dodgers. Absolutely. I think that'll be an interesting series if the Brewers can keep it close. I, I hope these end up being close series throughout, I hope. That, you know, they expand the playoffs and you worry about the quality of the teams getting in. I hope the games stay competitive, especially Only those. Only two uh, teams with a losing record made the postseason. Yeah, I think that's a good sign, too, that, you know, maybe some of the – yeah, you're probably getting in more average teams once you get down to the eighth seed, but it's not exactly these are terrible teams making the playoffs, which hopefully keeps it competitive. And, I mean, at that point, like we said before, anything can happen in a three-game series. So. Right. right. Certainly plenty of exciting things to watch for this week. And, you know, our plans here at Diamond Die, just obviously follow us on Twitter, look at what we're putting out during the week. What we're trying to do here as well is you've seen some of our hot mic streams where our writers will go on and while you're watching the game, instead of listening to the national broadcast, because everyone has strong opinions on Joe Buck, whether you love him or hate him, you could listen to us talk about baseball instead. And, we're hoping throughout both this week and the rest of the postseason that we'll have plenty of those broadcasts for all of you as you tune in to watch your favorite teams. And even some of the uh, teams that maybe, you know, like J-Roy, where you just really want to watch Yankees-Indians and you really want to hear what our writers have to say. So make sure to tune in for those as well. Be on the lookout as we kind of put our schedule together for both this week and the weeks moving forward. 
And like I said, make sure to follow us on Twitter if you don't already do, at diamond underscore digest, and follow us on our website, diamond-digest.com. Like I said, plenty of fun content coming up this week, end of the weeks to follow with these playoffs finally here, and plenty of excitement with eight teams per division, or excuse me, per league, and hopefully some very exciting matchups with plenty to talk about over the course of the next month. But that's going to do it for us tonight. For Ryan Rudy, Jonathan Roy, and the always wonderful Callie Sai. this is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. And good luck to all of you who have teams in the playoffs, except for you A's fans, because go White Sox. <laughs> we'll talk to you all later. Thanks for listening.